Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick, and I hope you like Slash Wipes, because today's movie is full of them. Today we're going to be talking about the 1991, I don't even know what genre to call it, movie The Giver. Giver spelled G-U-Y-V-E-R. I don't know what that means. Everybody I, t- I told about this movie asked, MacGyver? And I had to say, no, just <laughs> Giver. Uh, I, I don't know where that word comes from, but you're going to hear it a lot if you watch the film. That's right. Yeah, this this film is it is kind of hard to classify because there there are aspects of it that are really uh cranked up to the extreme and there's plenty of other things that are very traditional about it. It's a it's a PG-13 uh major motion picture. It's a manga turned anime turned live action feature. I've I've seen some people claim that it might be the first western adaptation of a manga. Uh, it's also, I guess you would classify this as a, 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 a tokusatsu film, uh, you know, very much like, uh, you know, various Power Rangers and so forth, you know, costumed uh, or, you know, mechanized or otherwise superpowered individuals fighting monsters, essentially a, a rubber monster costume slap vest. Sure. 
Yeah, it's it's essentially in many to a large extent you could make a case for this being a kids film, though the effects are are rather extreme in some cases, which really push it over the edge and make it something that I'm not ready to show my my son. Uh, it's definitely a monster movie. It's got plenty of monsters, and it is a film that uh, I guess you would describe as a comedy. It certainly tries to be funny uh, many times and has, I think, one legitimate and intentionally funny line. Maybe. Uh, I don't. I was wondering who this is for. I enjoyed The Giver, but despite much about it, 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 I, this is one of those movies where it's really not fit for adults and not fit for children. It's got, uh, it's got a very, uh, kids' movie kind of sense of humor, the, the, like, silly trombone music and everything. Mm -hmm. But it's also got, uh, stuff that's obviously not fit for kids. I mean, there's some language in there and like the monsters are disgusting. So (laughs) I I don't know exactly how to feel about this, but also it's got on one hand, Olympian makeup effects, uh, just like squelching latex mucus membranes and, and chitinous cod pieces (laughs) that are great. They deserve formal apotheosis, but also comedy that is so bloop de bloop and, (laughs) and cringe that it will make your pets embarrassed. (laughs) Uh, it even has silly raps. The The comedy is dreadfully painful. <laughs> it does have raps. I, I was delighted when I, when I, because um, I don't think I had either, I either had not seen this in its entirety before, or I had forgotten the raps. And, uh, and it's delightful that we have a, a, an actual monster rapping on screen. Yes. Now, one thing I was wondering is, this movie came out in 1991, how well do you think it fits with my general theory that the most culturally 80s year in American media was 1991? I, w- I would think it lines up with that pretty well, yeah. Um, because yeah, for most of the, the aspects of the film, you could certainly make a case that that's, the effects are maybe more uh, you know, bleeding edge oozing edge even uh, <laughs> uh you know but certainly i think match up well with some of the you know the better special effects we saw in the in the 1980s okay what's the elevator pitch on this uh so uh I, the one i was thinking of is uh, what if power rangers were disgusting yeah I, th- I think that's about right it's like david cronenberg's mighty morphin power rangers <laughs> Yeah, this this film was also it's it was released as The Giver based on the uh, you know the, the manga uh, that turned anime uh, The Giver, but it also was released with the title Mutronics, at least in some places, especially I guess in France because there's this wonderful poster um, that is perhaps more true to the the spirit of the film than the, uh, the the more widely seen like American poster, but it says Mutronics Le Film. And then it has the the various monsters from the picture roughly reenacting the Breakfast Club poster poses. Yes, that's mm-hmm. what I thought. Yeah, yeah, and, and much in the same way that uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two did the same thing. Uh, <laughs> but it lets you know something about the spirit of the film. I think this is making Michael Berryman's monster the Judd Nelson. Okay, and it's making uh, Spice Williams Crosby the Anthony Michael Hall. All right. <laughs> Let's hear some trailer audio.
Now, I think one of the reasons, Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of the reasons that we were zeroing in on this is because it was actually directed by someone whose special effects we have enjoyed in other Weird House Cinema movies, which is Screaming Mad George. Did did he do effects on Arena? Yeah, he he did. Uh, in particular, he did the one monster named uh, Sloth, which is this really uh, you know strange-looking creature. It looks like a giant mutated grasshopper man that our hero boxes. That was a really good one. That kind of made the movie. And I see some of the same DNA, if you will, in that monster and one of the final beasts we come across in the Giver. Yeah. When you think of Screaming Mad George's effects, you often think of insect mutations. You think of um, of, of dripping, oozing, melting, and morphing flesh. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a wizard of the synthetic flesh, I would say. I mean, there are very few artists out there in the special effects field that you might think of as being like true auteurs, you know, that where they there's a you can recognize their work, or at least you can if you're you're sort of clued into their style. And I and I would argue that Screaming Mad George, born uh Joji Tani, uh, is one of them. So uh we spoke a little bit about him in that uh, episode we did on Arena, but I wanted to go a little deeper this time since he's heading this baby up. Uh, so I turn to a book titled Monsters, Makeup, and Effects, Volume 1, Conversations with Cinema's Greatest Artists by Heather Wixon, uh, which is uh, you know available wherever you get your books in different formats. But it features a long interview with Screaming Mad George. Uh, so I've, I was you know interested to learn a little more here. So according to the interview, you know he grew up in Japan, inspired by cartoons and manga and anime, and he realized early on that while he struggled with story and certainly with finishing stories, he had plenty of ideas, and he realized he was better as an illustrator. So when, when other things would seem hard or frustrating, he would turn to drawing, uh, and then eventually turn to oil painting. And after high school, he attended the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan. And he started getting into music there as well, first in the punk era band The Disgusting. Uh, and when he was part of The Disgusting, he would do things like disembowel himself on the, uh, on the stage with like fake blood and fake guts and so forth. Cool. So you could think of this as like a, a, a pre-Guar sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Like, you know, like really extreme stuff, it sounded like. Um, but then the disgusting uh, morphed, and it became a new band, The Mad, in which he switched up his persona to be less about the gore and more about the bizarre. And I think this is where he becomes Screaming Mad George, and the, the name ends up sticking. I looked up some of The Mad's music, and you know what? I thought it was great. So they're a little-known punk hardcore band, uh, and yeah, he is, it had Screaming Mad George on lead vocals. Uh, I found an album of theirs called We Love Noise with the a noise with a Z instead of an S. And uh, if you, if you want to check out one of the songs on there, I recommend the one called I Want to Be a Devil. And uh, it, it, it's good stuff. Yeah, I was I was impressed by what I heard of it. This is a 1978 uh, album. But uh, yeah, I I don't know what I quite expected. I guess with with Screaming Mad George, I was kind of thinking it's going to be just just pure chaos, you know, or mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be madness. Um, and there is madness there, but it, it it's also you know pretty well structured and uh, yeah, uh, I was going to say it's got riffs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that's part of the like the the Screaming Mad George thing is like there's this persona <laughs> of madness and this name that implies madness and you'll see interviews where people were like oh you worked with screaming mad george on this what was that like and they're like well he was very quiet because he was super obsessed with you know touching up all these details the whole time <laughs> he gets all his energy out on stage i guess 
Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, in the energy, the madness comes out through the designs and the effects. Right. So uh, in the, the interview uh, in this, uh, this book uh, by Wixon, uh, he also mentions that he eventually started doing um, industrial music. And I'm thinking maybe this is from the project Screaming Mad George and Psychosis. They put out an album called Transmutation in 1993. Okay, uh, that would make sense historically. Yeah. So anyway, he moves uh, to the West Coast to study effects under, uh, under effects legend Rick Baker. Um, apparently he kind of like pestered Baker. He's like, Hey, I need to come out there and learn this from you. And Baker agrees. Uh, he moves out there just in time for Baker to take a year off. And, uh, Baker has handed cocoon duties off to Greg Cannon. So that's where George ends up getting his start. He's basically working for free. Uh, he's sent out to buy materials for things that the effects crew are building. But, um, but uh, in, the, in the interview, Screaming Mad George says uh, this was actually pretty great because he learned what all these basic underlying materials were, and it gave him more insight into what was possible uh, from a material standpoint when it came to effects. From there, he ended up working for Steve Johnson on Poltergeist 2, where George was put in charge of the Giger-designed vomit monster. Do you remember the sequence oh, in Poltergeist yeah. 2? Yes, yes. Yeah, probably one of the most memorable uh, and maybe maybe the best moment in the entire picture, uh, and one that's usually pretty easy to find on streaming sites. But yeah, some uh, individual vomits up this humanoid creature that then scampers off under a bed or something. It does look horrifying. Yeah, it's it's a great sequence. Uh, next up, he did he worked on Big Trouble in Little China, where he was assigned uh, the the build of the eye creature, the floating beholder monster that we have in that movie. Oh, okay, yeah. And I knew he worked on Predator at some point, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, Predator, Lost Boys, Spaceballs, uh, Nightmare 4, The Dream Master, in which he did the cockroach stuff. Mm, yeah, okay. And then, uh, yeah, and I'm skipping, there's, sir, I'm not going to mention every picture that he was involved with because, you know, he's very much part of a crew on many of these. But at, uh, at some point in all this, he ends up meeting up with horror director Brian Yuzna. Um, who was called, and, and so he, Yosna called him in to do effects on what would become 1989's Society, a bizarre body horror film that is essentially about classism in Hollywood. Mm hmm. Now, if you're familiar with this film, you know that it's loaded with fleshy weirdness and nastiness, bodies fusing together and so forth. Um, but much of this, according to the, this interview, uh, according to George here, uh, seems to come, have come about because the original script by Woody Keith and Rick Fry called for just tons and tons of blood. It was just going to be a real blood fest. But Yasna didn't want to do a big bloody ending. So he asked George, he says, well, what else could we do visually to get around just you know, having a really bloody uh, finale to this film. Well, one of Screaming Mad George's uh, early influences was the work of Salvador Dali. And so he, he instantly thought about that, I guess about melting clocks and, you know, oozing uh, forms. And he realized that was the way to go. And of course, this becomes like one of the signature aspects of this motion picture. Oh, okay. And so Yasna then eventually goes on to produce the film we're talking about here today, The Giver. And originally he just wanted Screaming Mad George to do the special effects, but George talks his way into the director's chair. And, uh, and we'll get into to how that breaks down in a bit. Uh, after Giver, George worked on a number of other pictures, such as 93's Freaked, which is excellent, uh, Children of the Corn 3, Tales from the Hood, Space Truckers, Beyond Reanimator. Uh, he's also done some, I think, uncredited work on various projects, but he's turned increasingly towards his own artwork and gallery shows. And he apparently also has a long gestating project that he hopes to direct one day, uh, something titled Animus. 
Oh, well, uh, my butt will be in the chair for that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I was just reminded of Beyond Reanimator, which is not the sequel to Reanimator, but I think the third Reanimator movie. And uh, that's the one that had this great theme song that went along with it. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Move Your Dead Bones, Bones, Bones song? No, I, I don't think I've seen that animator film, Reanimator film. Well, you should at least look up the song. It, it has like a break where the guy goes, reanimate your feet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that sounds incredible. Yeah. Uh, so Screaming Mad George uh, did a f- effects on Guyver. He's also uh, one of two directors. Uh, the other uh, director credit goes to Steve Wang, uh, Taiwan-born American makeup artist and filmmaker who was, I believe, just connected to, to Screaming Mad George through the effects industry. Uh, he'd done makeup on Hell Comes to Frogtown. Later on, he'd work on stuff like Hellboy. Uh, he also worked uh, special effects on films like Predator, Monster Squad, Nightmare 5, Gremlins 2. Uh, so much more. And apparently he was brought in to co-direct with Screaming Mad George because he had more experience with action directing, having previously worked on, as a second unit director on Rollerblade Warriors <laughs> Taken by Force from 1989. Um, Ooh, sorry, Rob, but that reminds me. At some point, we need to do one of the Rollerblade movies in oh, order yeah. to at least discuss why Rollerblade movies were their own subgenre of science fiction for, for a period there. Why were there so many? You had the... What, the uh, Solar Babies, the Prayer for the Roller Boys, this thing? Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, what, Xanadu? Is that one a roller movie as well? I, I think that's a different kind of thing. It has roller skating in it. Okay. At any rate, I agree. We should definitely explore this subgenre later. Uh, uh, later on but um yeah as far as steve wang goes apparently the way they split it up is like steve handled handled anything that was like action scene oriented in the guyver so that screaming mad george could just focus on effects and effects scenes like anytime somebody's face is splitting apart and somebody's transforming into a monster that sort of thing and then if uh, a monster is slapping another monster that's steve wang okay Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting. Uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like 
feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Um, on the the uh, the writing side of this, uh, the screenwriter was one John Purdy. This was his first screenplay. He went on to write and direct 1997 Star Portal and a handful of other films. But it's based on the the manga by uh, Yoshiki Takaya, uh, who was born 1960, and uh, he well he also created the manga Hades Project Ziorimer, uh, which was adapted to anime in 1988. He's best known internationally at least, for creating the Giver manga uh, bio-booster armor. Giver, which started in 1985 and I believe is still considered like an active title to some extent. Um, this property was uh, adapted into a, an 86 anime film, an 89 anime TV series prior to this, and, uh, and I think there are still uh, like anime Giver projects that are seeing the light of day. Okay, I think we've established that the monster costumes are the star of the film, but beyond that, it actually has a lot of star power in it. You would be shocked how many recognizable actors are in this thing. Yeah, and I think that's what put me over the top for actually covering this because it's kind. Of, this has been on our radar for a while. But when you, it's one thing to think, okay, it's got cool monsters and it's got cool effects. Screaming Mad George is involved, but then yeah, you look at this cast and it's just a buffet. It's like the, the casting is really as odd as any effect in this film. It it truly is. So let's start with the good guys, I guess, and uh, we have to start really with I believe this was the top billing for the picture. That is Mark Hamill, 
playing the character Max Reed, uh, born 1951. I think they're trying to pull a bit of a trick on us with the box art, because if you were to believe it, it suggests that Mark Hamill is the titular Giver. It shows half of the Giver armor mask and then the other half of the face without the mask. And it's Mark Hamill's face. You can tell because he has the the late 80s Mark Hamill mustache. That's right. But you have to kind of really look to see the mustache. Um, yeah. And, and first, I, I couldn't really tell because one it's of the a, other... It's a tremendous furry pyramid. Yeah, because the thing is, the actual Guyver character, uh, who's also named Sean Barker, is played by this guy, Jack Armstrong, who for whom this was his biggest role. Uh, He mostly did TV before Guyver, uh, Guiding Light, All My Children, Quantum Leap, ALF. And then after Guyver, he did mostly TV as well. The Tick, Days of Our Lives, uh, Westworld, Mr. Mayor, he he even popped up on, like bit parts, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... But even this Jack Armstrong character kind of looks like a young Mark Hamill. Yeah, so it does. It, it leaves you wondering, like, what? how did the casting come together on this? I don't know. I don't know. It's like it's like they wanted Mark Hamill, but then they got him on set. And they're like, okay, now you need to shave your mustache. And he's like, uh-uh, not going to do it. So they're like, okay, so we're going to have to recast you as this other character and get a clean-shaven guy to play the Giver. Yeah, like they wanted Luke Skywalker, and he was just not doing the Luke Skywalker thing anymore, uh, yeah. which you know is understandable. It was a huge role; it it made everyone. I mean, it cemented him. Like even today, much much further along in Mark Hamill's career, uh, it, you can't separate him from Luke Skywalker. Even though at this point we know that he's also a phenomenal voice actor, who's brought to life so many iconic characters. I mean, instantly I think of the Joker, of course, from various animated projects and video games. He also did a wonderful job. Bob is Skektek, uh, this, uh, one of the villains in the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Yep, yep. Really good. Yeah, and just just a really robust uh, voice acting uh, resume, uh, Mark Hamill. Uh, around this time, I guess he was, he was popping up in plenty of stuff. Like he never, I, I, I had read somewhere that he'd taken a few years off after uh, Jedi, but you look at his filmography and it still looks pretty solid. Like it, uh, I don't, you don't see a lot of gaps. Uh, during this time, he not, was in... Well, a lot of the live-action, non-Star Wars stuff in there is not super great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's well, like one that pops up is um, the Steven Lisberger film Slipstream. I've seen that one. It's uh, I, I do not remember much about it other than that Mark Hamill has a mustache. Okay. <laughs> there's another one he's in, he's in, and I don't think he has a mustache in this one, but it's a Jess Franco movie, uh, Night of the Eagles, which co-stars Christopher Lee. Okay, well, I need to see that. Yeah, I think it's a wartime Germany film, so everybody's in a, a Nazi uniform. Though I think there's some sort of... I'm not sure if, if Hamill... I think Hamill's character maybe plays um, an anti-Nazi that's, uh, you know, um, uh, in disguise or something. Okay. I, I also have to point out that Mark Hamill does show up on one episode of the 1990s Outer Limits series. It's, it's a mm-hmm. pretty good one. So look for, look for that if you're a Hamill completist. Okay, well, so we got uh, Jack Armstrong playing our, our young dopey hero, Sean, who will become the, the Giver. We have Mark Hamill. He plays a character named Max Reed, who is a CIA agent. I have some questions about how the CIA works in the universe of this movie, but we'll get to that when we break down the plot. Uh, but then I guess our other main good character would be the character um, – is, is she named Mizuki or Mizuki? I've seen it both ways. Hmm. Well, you know, sometimes there is a disconnect between what's what's listed and then what people are actually saying in the movie. Yeah. But this character is played by Vivian Wu, a Chinese actor who made her big screen debut in 1987's The Last Emperor. 
um, playing the the consort of the titular last emperor in the film. But she's she was also in plenty of other films, including Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three. I think this is the Turtles in Time movie. It is. Yep. Uh, she was in the Joy Luck Club. Uh, that was 1993, uh, same year as Turtles 3. Uh, she also shows up in a lot of TV uh, appearances, such as Millennium, Highlander, the TV show, oh, uh, yeah. Tales from the Crypt, and Murder, She Wrote. Well, is it time to talk about the bad guys, though? Oh, yes. So many great bad guys in this. And that's even before they transform from their human form into monsters. Yeah. So, topping it off, we have uh, we have a character named Fulton Balkus, who is uh, he's the head uh, Zoonoid, uh, which I guess we'll get into that later. But think like alien monster thing disguised as a human. Uh-huh. Uh, but he's also a CEO of the Cronus Corp. He has a he has a pink eyeball that pokes out of his forehead sometimes. Yeah, uh, played by the always wonderfully reptilian uh, David Gale, who lived nineteen thirty six through nineteen ninety one. Uh, he he uh, died the same year this film came out uh, oh. uh, due to heart surgery complications. So this this was one of his final films. But uh, yeah, he was a, he was an English born actor who worked on the New York stage, and uh, is probably best remembered as Doctor Hill in the first two Reanimator films. Uh, but he did a fair amount of TV work, uh, a lot of non genre work. But he increasingly became. Uh, known for his horror and sci-fi appearances. He was in Pulse Pounders, Tales from the Dark Side. Uh, he was in 1988's The Brain, which we discussed previously on the show. He played the uh, the the TV host psychiatrist who was like actually brainwashing people to follow the giant alien brain. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know what, David Gale, one thing I appreciate about him was he understood that a villain is supposed to be hated and he would commit to making his villainous performances as absolutely disgusting and <laughs> loathsome as possible. He was like, I want the audience to physically recoil when they see me. So he adds in all these little notes of just these facial expressions and, and posture and stuff to not just say his lines and make it clear that he is the bad guy, but to be just like repulsive and unsettling in every possible way. Yeah, it's it, he. He was committed uh, for sure. Uh, it's just a full body performance with their depths to his facial expressions that uh, most people did not have. Uh, so yeah, this is another which is wonderfully reptilian performance in this film. Again, even before he turns into a reptile. <laughs> yeah, I mean he sells it so well. It's like there's a part later where uh, the Vivian Wu character like knees him in the crotch, and despite mostly not really getting involved in the drama of this movie, in that scene I was like, yeah, get him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we'll come back more to Gail's performance because it is it is standout. Uh, but there, there's oh man, he's got such a crew working under him because uh, yeah, uh, Balkus can't do it alone. He has these other zoonoids, which are again monsters disguised as humans. And the I guess the his his second in command, his number two, is the zoonoid Lisker, played by Michael Berryman. Another legend. Yeah, born 1948. We talked about him briefly on Beastmaster 2, the Beastmaster 2 episode, because he pops up at the end of that in kind of a cameo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just you know, shows up, you recognize it's Berryman, and he, he kind of, uh, you know, uh, acts uh, afraid, I guess, and runs away. But in this movie, he really has uh, the opportunity to flex his acting muscles. So horror, action, romance even, uh, comedy, <laughs> Berryman can do it all. 
Uh, Berryman was, of course, uh, born with um, uh, with um, um, hypohydrotic ectodermal dysplasia, a rare condition leaving him with no sweat glands, hair, fingernails, or teeth. And this gave him, of course, a unique look that was, uh, you know, utilized in such films as 1975's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, 1977's The Hills Have Eyes. Those kind of, I guess, help put him, uh, you know, put, put him in the spotlight. But he's been in various other films and TV shows over the years, a ton of stuff. Uh, Star Trek The Voyage Home, Weird Science. He's one of the, like, biker mutants, I think, that shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Trek The Final Frontier, The Devil's Rejects, uh, The Bizarre and Problematic, The Evil Within, and, and many other films. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's a bona fide legend. All right, then we have another zoonoid named uh, Ramsey, and this one is played by Peter Spellos, born 1954. And this is this is one of the the, the actors that I did not recognize, but as it turns out, uh, you know, he's a pretty well known voiceover actor, especially in English dubs of anime. So he's done mm-hmm. voices in uh, the English dubs of such titles as Panda Go Panda, that was a, like an early Miyazaki project, uh, Ghost in the Shell, Ghost in the Shell 2.0, Street Fighter 2, the animated movie. He he does the English voice for uh, Sagat in that. Uh, mm-hmm. And in his physical form, he's popped up in everything from Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, and Married with Children to Men in Black 2. In this movie, his character, I think, has a Russian accent. Did I hear that right? I don't, yeah, I don't remember him talking so much. He doesn't talk as much. Uh, mm-hmm. He shares a lot of screen time with the zoonoid Striker, who is played by Jimmy Walker, born 1947. Jimmy Walker gets a lot of screen time, uh, especially in monster form in this movie. Yes, in which in when he's in, when there are all these uh, these characters when they're in monster form, they're voiced by the 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 uh, the, the actor. Uh, but yeah, Jimmy Walker, stand up comedian and actor, probably best remembered as JJ on the sitcom Good Times from 1974 through 1979, where his catchphrase was, "Oh, dynamite!" And, dynamite. Uh, and- does he say it in the movie? Yes, he does. <laughs> yeah, this 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 is not the sort of movie that's going to resist giving the people what they want. They want that catchphrase. Yeah. Um, well, it's even like they save it till the very end. It's a stinger. It's just all the other action is gone. And then it just cuts back to Jimmy Walker's monster character there. And he just says dynamite. Yeah. They're like, say it. You have to say it. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we cast you. Um I joke, but he's actually, I really enjoyed this performance. Like he's, this is, he is the one who raps. Uh, uh, I think he raps in both human and monster form. Yes. But it's like the, the it's a very 1991 style comedy movie, silly rap. Yes. Yeah. It, I, I don't think anyone is going to go out on a limb and say this is a great rap. As far as <laughs> raps performed by, by monsters in horror movies, I don't know. Like that's, that's a really low bar. Uh, I mean, you're up against the Crypt Keeper at that point. Oof. The Crypt Keeper rap. Um, okay, so that's, a, that's one zoonoid. Then we also have our female zoonoid, uh, Weber, played by Spice Williams Crosby, born 1952. Who I believe is supposed to be like the the wife or girlfriend of the Michael Berryman zoonoid. This movie has zoonoid romance. Yes. Yeah, there's this wonderful scene. <laughs> Uh, where they're they're in the van and they're just talking about their future plans together about possibly what they're yeah. traveling to Brazil. Yeah, we want to go to Brazil one day. It's so sweet. And then they've got to go kill the Earthlings. Yeah. 
So uh, Spice Williams Crosby, or, or Spice Williams as she was, was often credited, uh, at least at the time of this film, uh, actor, stunt woman, an all-around just muscle woman. Uh, her biggest role was playing uh, the Klingon uh, Vixus in Star Trek The Final Frontier. She did a lot of TV popping up on The Master, that is the Master Ninja TV series, uh, Deep Space Nine, Seinfeld, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, among many others. Uh, uncredited vampire in From Dust Till Dawn. And as a stunt player, uh, she did a lot of stunts. She did stunts in this film, for example. Uh, she's uh, worked on tons of big movies. And as a stunt double for Shirley MacLaine, Denise Crosby, Vicki Lawrence, Kelly Preston, and others. Wow. In her full monster zoonoid film, she kind of looks like a furry owl sloth, kind of like an owl bear from Dungeons and Dragons. I was going to say she looks like she's like a giant bat without wings. Yeah. All right, and then uh, this is more of a minor zoonoid. He's a he's a, a zoonoid who stays in the lab for the most part and doesn't go out on the the field assignments. But we have Jeffrey Combs playing Doctor East. Doctor East. He only shows up in the last twenty minutes of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Jeffrey Combs, of course, is the reanimator himself. Uh, the reanimator was, of course, Herbert West. So in here, he's Doctor East. Yuck! 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 Yeah. Uh, and of course, he was in the first two reanimator films alongside David Gale. Uh, but uh, but like Gale, he, you know, he has essentially built up this career as being kind of a, a horror icon. I would say Jeffrey Combs is kind of one of the few you can point to and say, OK, 20th, late 20th century horror icon. Yeah. I mean, I guess it started with reanimator. Right. But that that sort of got him into a bunch of other stuff. Like he ended up in The Frighteners, which uh, is a much forgotten movie. But that was like a big mainstream horror yeah. movie. That's one of the interesting things about Combs is he kind of bridges the gap between stuff like Reanimator, From Beyond, Castle Freak, and, and Necronomicon, Book of the Dead. He, there's that side to his work, but he also shows up in some of these, these big budget, uh, like late 1990s horror features like House on Haunted Hill. Uh, he has a really frightening role in that as like a murderous surgeon ghost. Oh, but also in The Frighteners, he played... It's been a long time since I've seen that, but I recall he plays like an FBI agent who turns out to be like a like a, a cult obsessed maniac who's got these uh, like scars and tattoos all over his body. Oh, cool! I you know I never this? saw the Frighteners. I remember oh, the he gives some thing. monologue where he's like, "My body is a roadmap of pain." <laughs> It comes was great. At, he's great at chewing the scenery. Uh, like yeah. he's not in this movie much, but he makes the most out of it. Yes. He did a lot of TV work as well. He's done voiceover work. Um, and as with his appearances in Robot Jocks and Trancers 2, which we covered previously, this is a minor but fun role. Agreed. Uh, of, of note here, we do have a movie within a movie that pops up uh, as oh, our, yeah. one of our ch chase sequences ends up moving through a movie set. And, uh, and it features uh, one notable appearance anyway. Uh, Leanna Quigley shows up. Uh, Linnea, playing, Linnea. Linnea, I'm sorry. Linnea Quigley shows up playing a Scream Queen. She's credited as Scream Queen. Um, <laughs> I guess she's sort of playing herself. But uh, she's, of course, best remembered for playing, I guess, uh, you know, various characters, but especially the punk zombie from Return of the Living Dead, um, mm -hmm. along with various other films like Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Night of the Demons. Oh, man. Yeah, Return of the Living Dead. What's that line she has? She's like, uh, don't you just love death? <laughs> <laughs> 
the the other fun thing is in this movie within a movie the the director of this picture shows up because he basically we have one of our monsters wander in there and they think he's part of the film and so the director comes up and he's like no let me tell you how we're we're shooting this and the director is played by this guy michael deke who was another special effects guy sometimes actor and at least one time actual director who's worked makeup and special effects and a bunch of things but he's also one of these guys that is six foot six in height so you know what happens if you're a special effects guy and you're that tall you're wearing a monster costume at some point so Mm -hmm. as it turns out he was the mummy in tales from the dark side the movie and the creature in cellar dweller the mummy was that the segment that had like steve buscemi in it yeah, maybe a Christian Slater in there. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty terrifying mummy, as I recall, because it's actually, like, it, it starts uh, removing people's brains through their nostrils. Oh, and Michael Deke also played the character Horn in Arena. Uh, that oh. was uh, the, 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 the main boss that our uh, uh, alien, that our box, human boxer had to combat. Oh, yeah. So many fond memories of Arena. That just keeps coming up, and it, it ages well in my memory. Just a wholesome film. Yeah. <laughs> Um, as for the music in this film, it is by Matthew Morse. Very forgettable score, but it was apparently apparently released as an album in Japan. It was, huh? Mm. Yeah. I, it's got a lot of that, that late 80s studio sound, like the, the really bright bass guitar that might actually be just a, a, a MIDI bass that somebody's playing on a keyboard. It has oceans of reverb on the drums. <laughs> Uh, and also that that horrible musical punctuation of physical comedy, like you know, one of the goober monsters is acting dumb, and then we get the bloop to bloop trombone music. <laughs> and it also is a movie. It has like those doink spring sound effects for the slapstick. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of a lot of slapstick in this, which I guess is unavoidable to a certain extent because it's it's a rubber monster movie. It is a yeah. rubber monster meat slap fest. Uh, though there are some good gooey stabs and bites thrown in for good measure, and at least one really awesome-looking uh, Giver clothesline. Like, clothesline's one of the monsters, and there's a, a nice bump in there. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love— you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts.
Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. All right, shall we uh, shall we jump into the plot of the Giver? Sure. Well, I have a question to begin with, which is when I f- first started watching, I had to go back and turn off the auto Russian dubbing <laughs> that my DVD started with. So, was this movie a big hit in Russia or something? Why is it that our video our, our disc from the Drome is a Russian DVD? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> they did the same thing for me. It started off and there, it, it was, I didn't realize it was Russian at first. I thought, well, maybe it's supposed to be like an alien language or something because uh-huh. it was playing over the, the opening narration. And then I quickly realized, oh no, this is a, this is a foreign language audio track. And sure enough, track one was Russian. Track two was the original English. Okay. Well, anyway, so this movie begins with a Star Wars-style text crawl over a Starfield background, which is read aloud for you as it rolls by. Good choice. Uh, So it says, At the beginning of time, aliens came to Earth to create the ultimate organic weapon. They created mankind. By planting a special gene into man, they created zoonoids, humans who can change at will into super monster soldiers. You with me so far? Yep. Okay. Eons later, the Zoonoid leader, called the Zoalord, has awakened and formed the Kronos Corporation <laughs> to further develop the Zoonoid technology for world domination. Okay. Well, how, how did he get the funding for that? Yeah. He awakened from what? Where was he? He was asleep. And then he's like, I'm a CEO now. <laughs> yes. And so he becomes David Gale and puts on, puts on a suit 
suppresses his zoonoidiness and says, no, I will, I will dine on salads for lunch. I will wear a tie. Um, and, and that's what he does. And then, oh, oh but the, the text goes on. It says, among the alien remains was found the unit, a bio-boosted alien armor. Worn by the aliens, it serves as an ordinary shield. If the wearer is human, it increases his natural powers a hundredfold. He becomes the Giver. But how to activate it remains a mystery. By the way, I think all of this opening text scroll is completely superfluous because you would learn all this stuff throughout the movie eventually anyway. But Yeah, all it really does is is create additional plot holes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then it also says, Dr. Tetsu Sagawa, a research scientist at Kronos, senses danger if this unit is activated by the Zoalord. Now the doctor has stolen it and is on the run. So we're in the present tense now. And then we see what was just described. We we open on a damp, dark, steamy bit of asphalt. There's concrete everywhere. We're in the we're in a sort of liminal space somewhere in I think future Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a scientist in a lab coat. I guess this is Doctor Tagawa, and he's running around in the dark. And he flips open a metal suitcase, and inside we see the Giver. It is disc shaped overall. It's sort of like Iron Man's little power pack, but it sort of looks like a metal ball surrounded by leather flaps. You got anything to add to that? No, that, that's that's what it looks like. Uh, okay. It, it looks like alien technology. So, you know, we buy it. And it flashes ominously and makes sound effects. So uh, we see Dr. Tagawa hiding the Giver among a pile of trash. I think he crams it in a plastic lunchbox. And then he, he takes the empty metal suitcase and he runs off because he's being pursued by some heckling bad guys in a van. They're the kind who are like, they're, they're driving up on the overpass above and looking down at him. And they're like, hey, hey there he is. We're going to get him. <laughs> and then they eventually catch up to him in a concrete canal. So, again, I guess this is L.A. Uh, but the bad guys in the van include Michael Berryman, Spice Williams Crosby, Jimmy Walker, and Peter Spellos. And yeah, all the, in human form. All in human form at this point, but they're being goofballs. There are antics aplenty. And I have to say, Michael Berryman, it looks pretty sharp in this when he shows up, when he actually gets gets out of the vehicle and starts walking around. Oh, yeah. He's dressed in all black, like down to the ankles. He looks like the high priest of zoonoidism. Mm-hmm. And he says, he says to Tagawa, he says, it's not too late. You can still come back. But Tagawa reacts to this by turning into a fish man. <laughs> like a a giant bipedal fish head monster rips up out of his skin. And at first, uh, Jimmy Walker's like, let me have him. But Berryman steps forward. He's like, "Uh uh-uh, this is a job for the boss. So strap yourself in for some morphin sequences because Berryman is going to warp spasm and turn into a a big creature. Uh, Meanwhile, while he's warping, the fish monster says, um, he says, these inhuman experiments must stop. So he's still <laughs> speaking English. Uh, but Berryman morphs through several stages. He becomes a kind of cross-eyed half pumpkin head. And then eventually he becomes a big old gremlin beast with giant yellow fangs. But they're underbite fangs like the orcs in the Warcraft uh, games. Yeah, and it's an impressive looking monster costume. A full body costume here and with kind of a cool stance. Like you really buy this as a, a big physical threat. 
Right. And then they fight. You get the good meat slapping sound effects. Somebody <laughs> somebody was whipping steaks together right next to a microphone. And yeah. uh, eventually the, the Berryman Beast grabs the fish monster by the head and crushes his brain. And they retrieve the suitcase and roll out. And then we cut to credits. <laughs> yep, yep, that's it. The unit has been returned to the Zoonoids. So after the credits, we meet our, our our good guys. We go to an Aikido studio where our dopey young hero, Sean, is sparring with fellow students. He seems to be not good at Aikido. He's repeatedly getting thrown. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Vivian Wu comes in, and apparently there's a romance budding between her character, uh, Miski, and, uh, and Sean. Because he's like, can I give you a ride home tonight? And she's like, ah, I guess it's better than the bus. And he's like, oh, shucks. <laughs> Uh, I think she's supposed to work in the office at the Aikido studio. Yeah, yeah, that's the sense you get. Yeah, okay. Well, so the Aikido instructor starts teaching everybody how to do a throw. So she's like, hey, everybody, come watch this. And uh, so Sean's distracted. And meanwhile, Mark Hamill walks in behind uh, Vivian Wu, uh, or he kind of skunks in. And in this movie, he wears this outfit that is white slacks with a belt a red sweater tucked into his pants and this huge suede coat hanging open. And again, it's 1991 Hamill. So you better believe he has a mustache. Mm-hmm. So he takes Miski aside into the office. And he explains, I'm Max Reed, CIA. I've been investigating the Kronos corporation where your father worked. Uh, first of all, he says worked <laughs> like she doesn't know yet that, he's been had his head crushed he mm-hmm. just starts off where your father worked and uh and the other thing is yeah okay so in the world of this film the cia investigates domestic corporate malfeasance <laughs> anyway so he starts to tell a story that all gets reenacted while he's narrating so we're watching this happening like we, we fade to mark hamill in the dark smoking a cigarette sitting on a big concrete wall and he narrates i've got some bad news for you your father and I had a meeting tonight. He was delivering something he'd gotten out of Kronos's lab, said it was important and dangerous. He never made it. They got to him first. I couldn't quite make out what was going on, but it was violent and weird. <laughs> anyway, your father is dead. <laughs> yeah. Just um, wanted, yeah, wanted you to know your, your dad died really weirdly. It oh, was man. Weird. I couldn't make it all out, but it was, it was weird. Just thought you should know. So good. And uh, yeah, so he's like, we couldn't get to him in time. Uh, We see in the reenactment that Mark Hamill has a couple of suits that he works with who are constantly sort of chasing him around in the movie. We find out in the end that they're working with the Zoonoids the whole time. But uh, the suits are on the scene with him and they they go down to where Tagawa was. But there's no more sign of the fish head monster. Now he's just a slimy human skeleton. Hmm. Meanwhile, Sean out there has been watching through the window at this conversation Miski is having with Reed, and he has been ignoring the Aikido demonstration, which immediately turns into him being made a fool of in front of the whole class. They're like, you know, hey, show, let's do that throw we just uh, demonstrated, and he doesn't know what's going on. So he gets thrown and thrown, and uh, and I, I should note his sparring partner is wearing a shirt that says Kill Em All, which I don't think is a reference to the first Metallica album, so I don't know what it is. Yeah, it could just be Bootleg. Right? Oh, I guess so. Yeah, it's not the logo, but it does say that. So Make your own Metallica shirt. Sure. After all this, the Aikido instructor sits down with Sean, and, and she's like, Sean, you have to learn to control your temper, or nothing I teach you is ever going to help you out there. But, you know, she's not thinking of the contingency in which he receives some alien power armor. 
Right. That is that is activated by his temper. Exactly. So in that case, like she's giving him exactly the wrong advice. Yeah. You should you should learn nothing in class and you should just get mad. But now it's time to check in with the bad guys. Right. So we get our first David Gale scene. David Gale is in his office, in his corporate office, wearing a tie and a suit. He's some kind of business bigwig sitting at mm-hmm. a desk. And Michael Berryman shows up with the suitcase. And, and of course, David Gale is very pleased. Uh, what's his character's name again? Balkus or something? Yes, yes. Balkus. Yeah. Balkus is very pleased. He says, it's a good thing you got it because and then he's like toying with him. He, he walks around the back of Barry when he's like touching his head. He goes, I wouldn't want a hair on your lovely head hurt. <laughs> but uh oh, there's a problem because he opens up the case. And remember how Tagawa switched the Giver out? Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, there is no Giver in the case. Instead, it's a toaster. <laughs> and he, he starts to have a magnificent freak out. He says, What is this? Some sort of masochistic joke? And he goes into a full on telekinetic rage. He grows a third eye out of his forehead and m- makes Michael Berryman start punching himself. Yeah, yeah, like slapping himself in the face and kind of like clawing at his own face. It's a wonderful performance by Berryman. And then, and then uh, Bacchus says, uh, just snarling at him at this point, is like, I'll have you slap yourself into oblivion if you don't find it. So, so. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess you assume that this is his standard assassination method is psychically making people punch themselves to death. Or at least zoonoids. I mean, he is the zoa lord, right? Right, yeah. Maybe it only works on zoonoids, that's true. <laughs> Not that it matters. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in, in the meantime, Sean drives down to where uh, Miski's father was killed, and uh, he's he's riding on his scooter, and he happens to stumble across the actual Giver in its hiding place, and he takes it with him. And we, we get a whole scene at the at the crime scene with Miski there and uh, Max Reed, that's Mark Hamill there, and they're talking about it. And, and Mark Hamill's suit bosses, they're like still chasing Ninja Turtles, and he's like, I'm on my own time. So I, he's going around <laughs> flashing his CIA credentials, but apparently this is just a, a private investigation <laughs> he's taken up for, you know, out of the goodness of his heart. Yeah, that, that doesn't sound dangerous at all. Uh, and then later, Mark Hamill takes Miski home and explains to her that her father contacted him because he wanted to pass something off, this thing, the Giver. And he says it's the most dangerous technology since the atom bomb, but he doesn't understand what it is. So he's asking her. Uh, she, of course, has no idea what it is either, but she hilariously is repeating the words. So the scene is she's there in her house. She's in tears over her father's death. And he's like, what do you know about the Giver? And she's like, the Giver. And he's right. You know, the, yes, the Giver. <laughs> um, and uh, she says, like, he was a scientist. How could he get involved with something like that? Anyway, uh, Sean comes to the door to to check on Miski, and he sees Mark Hamill in her apartment. I don't know what – he, like, sees him in a mirror through the door. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he gets very upset. It, I think the implication is he thinks that, like – I don't know, that Miski and Mark Hamill are, like, dating now or something. But mm-hmm. it, it doesn't make any sense because, like, he saw them at the crime scene. It's clear he's some sort of official. Yeah, this is actually one of – I think this is the only line in the film that, that made me laugh – uh-huh. <laughs> this is because after after he sees Max Reed in the mirror, storms off. Max Reed walks back up and says, "That's a lousy place for a mirror." <laughs> <laughs> and I did laugh at that. I was like, "Okay, that's a pretty good line. It's pretty good." <laughs> 
Like so good yeah. that I have a, I have a hard time believing it was originally in the script. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but then we get to a pivotal scene because on the way home, remember Sean's he still got the uh, he still got the Giver in his backpack, mm-hmm. and his scooter breaks down in a in a dark alleyway full of full of steam and trash and graffiti. And while he's trying to fix it, I guess uh, he is jumped by a gang of bozos in yellow bandanas. I I think they're supposed to be like a dangerous criminal gang but they're also like all the bad guys in this movie kind of bloop de bloop trombone goobers like yeah just acting silly yeah some of them look like they're in their mid-40s and uh, yeah and you know it's probably the case where the the gang consists of whoever was in the stunt crew yes <laughs> yeah uh but oh another guy in the gang is the guy that sean was sparring with in aikido class earlier also anyway the gang starts beating him up and as they're attacking him Oops, Sean accidentally face fuses with the Giver. <laughs> yeah. And then we get a transformation sequence. Strap yourself in for these morphin sequences. It is wet meat and electricity. And the gang guys are saying, oh, oh get back. It's gross. He's sick or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Rob, how would you describe this transformation and what he looks like in the Giver suit? Oh, I mean, it's, it's pretty great. It's like... Um the suit itself is kind of like like somebody's been turned inside out it's like there is certainly a feeling of like of uh, of an actual exoskeleton and you see the viscera and there's steam coming out of the sides of the mass there's a horn uh there are also the the ball and extra balls of the unit are there and they're kind of like squirming around uh it's it's a really cool looking suit it has like elbow blades that pop out yeah um but it is, it is also, of course, very much a, a, a rubber monster suit and, uh, and and has those limitations in place. But, yeah, it's very much the cronenberg Power Rangers costume that we teased at the beginning. I'll also point out that one thing, the thing that yucked me out the most about the, the suit activating and, like, the tendrils going around him and, like, growing over him is that he's not nude underneath it. I think I would have felt better if he was nude, but there's, like, a layer of full clothing between him and the new flesh. Oh, like, yeah. if you're going to forge with the new flesh, uh, I, don't, I don't want, like, a sweaty T-shirt there in between. Like, just let the flesh touch the flesh, right? Yeah, yeah. It may, may the old T-shirt die. Yeah, yeah. your Giver suit's just going to get infected this way. So. <laughs> but so yeah it's kind of insectoid power ranger armor that henshin hero sort of thing but uh, with with this this chitinous quality and then these gross wet muscles underneath uh, the spitting out the steam and this gas mask thing on the face with the the big eyes and in in guyver form of course he is uh he's a monster like he easily beats up the gang he he breaks their bones and at one point he almost stabs a dude to death um, and then we get another slash wipe, uh, but I don't think I've been mentioning them every time, but there's slash wipes of plenty. So this movie yeah. is just like one corner to the other. Loves it. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs and a whole lot of love, you transformed a hundred thousand miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. 
brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Uh, and we get another scene with Michael Berryman going back to David Gale to get yelled at and berated again. Uh, and this is the scene where they decide, oh, well, we've got to go kidnap Tagawa's daughter. So let, let's kidnap Miski, obviously. But I, I wanted to point out in this scene, David Gale is sitting down, I think, to eat like he's making human breakfast or mm-hmm. something. But he gets up to walk around and he has a napkin dangling out of his suit jacket. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, also they're like he's using the toaster that was brought earlier to make himself toast, which I think is supposed to be funny. But like toast pops up out of it and it's burned and on fire. So I think the joke is that uh, that that David Gale's character does not understand how human cuisine works. 
Yeah, this 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 moment, I guess I was supposed to laugh, but instead I groaned, but then I think I laughed anyway. Yeah. Uh, so uh, <laughs> the, the toaster worked for me. I guess it's good. Gail's performance is so good here. And then when we come back to Sean, we get a version of the classic werewolf hangover scene. You mm-hmm. know what scene I'm talking about. It's in a werewolf movie or something of that sort. The protagonist wakes up, sometimes in their own bed, sometimes in a strange place, but in their regular body. And they, they feel around on their torso with their hands and gaze intently into the mirror, wipe their hair back with a sigh as if to check it. You know, Is that really me? What a relief. And then they wonder aloud if it was all just a bad dream, or maybe they don't remember anything at all except a strange feeling that something terrible happened last night. But, of course, here our protagonist did not become a a wild canidomorph, but a weird armored insect fighter with elbow knives. Yeah, he may not remember it, but that that, uh, Giver costume crawled into a series of holes in the back of his neck. Oh, that's right. Yes, when it goes away, it like it sucks into these like fang holes at the mm-hmm. at the base of his skull. And then in the following scene, there there was some dialogue that was so bewildering to me. <laughs> I had to just include it verbatim and recreate it here. So we get to a scene with Mark Hamill, you know, the the, the CIA guy Reed. He's arguing with the two suits. Uh, I think he was like, "Y'all need to look into the Kronos Corporation." And they come back to him and they're like, "We checked it out. Kronos Corporation's fine. NBD, nothing to see here." And uh, and so Reed is they're walking on the sidewalk and Reed says to them uh, one thing. What the hell is a scientist doing in the middle of the night walking down a concrete riverbed in his lab coat fishing? And then the suit says back to him, who knows? Some people will do anything to land a fish, even tell a fish story. (laughs) Then Reed says, yeah, well, it ain't fish. I smell. It's a rat. Oh, (laughs) so good that's, uh, that's some david mamet stuff right there what is a fish story a fish i guess it's like the it's an exaggeration right like a big fish story like oh, oh it was this okay. long versus this long okay and then something smells fishy but also sometimes you smell a rat it's, right. it's all it's all it's perfectly constructed tight tight <laughs> yeah Okay, well, this all leads up to this big middle section of the movie that is a long extended fight sequence. And how we get there is uh, is that uh, the the bad guys, the Zoonoids, go to Mizki's apartment to try to kidnap her. But just in time, um, Sean and Max uh, meet up there and they rescue her. And the three of them run off into a warehouse where they are pursued by the Zoonoids. And along the way, they, they stumble across this film set, which, which is where <laughs> uh, Jimmy Walker's character accidentally, like, he, he runs into a woman, she starts screaming, but then there's, like, a director saying cut, and it turns mm-hmm. out she's an actress shooting on location in this alleyway, and there's supposed to be a monster there, but it was a different monster that was supposed to be there, and yuck yucks. Yeah, absolutely essential. It's in the movie. Uh, but they they move on to the warehouse, and then there's just like a long, long fight sequence. I, I got to be honest, in this scene, like I loved the reveal of all the monsters, but the the sort of like running around in the warehouse and the fighting kind of went on a long time for me. It did, yeah. Th- there's a lot of meat slapping in this uh, this sequence. There are some good moments of uh, of goo and slicing. Uh, but also, like, the more you see of these monsters, you know, even though the Giver costume looks amazing, the monsters, the Zoonoids look amazing, you know, there, there are scenes where just by virtue of them being floppy monster costumes, they're gonna, you're going to get a little bit of flop, you're going to get a little bit of uh, 
uh, of movement there that betrays the you know the, the underlying synthetic nature of the whole thing. Um, yeah. But if you like a good monster slap fest, uh, they 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 got it here, and I think this may be the fight sequence where we get that really strong clothesline. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are definitely good things about it. I think one thing that made it a little less than it could have been was the doink doink music. Yes, that just <laughs> that kind of sucked some of the the soul out of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, but one of the important things in this big warehouse fight sequence is that the Michael Berryman monster uh, discovers the secret, the weakness of the Giver suit, which is the ball on his forehead, and which I think is called the control metal. And they defeat the Giver by ripping out the ball from his forehead. And oops, uh, now our Giver hero is dead. Yeah, he just deflates and melts. Uh, pretty great, great melting scene. So Misky is captured by the monsters. Uh, both, uh, I think, Misky and and Reed are captured by the monsters, and they're brought back to the headquarters of the Kronos Corporation, where Fulton Balkus uh, uh, first he he looms over uh, Misky's unconscious body very creepily, and then she wakes up and he launches into an expository monologue. So uh, we find out all kinds of things. So he takes her on a walk through what's called the growth corridor, which sounds like a zoning policy <laughs> buzz phrase. It does. Uh, Rob, how would you describe the growth corridor? You know, your standard uh, cloning vat uh, mad science laboratory with lots of shadowy things and in tubes that will flinch or jump at the glass if you move too close to them. Yeah, yellow liquid, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, David Gale says, these are zoonoids, genetically altered human beings. You see, my dear, a long time ago when the planet was barren, the aliens descended upon the Earth and created man. And Miski (laughs) just says, aliens? (laughs) And he goes, that's right. Man was created as the ultimate organic weapon. And these are the next step in the evolutionary process. Warriors developed by the aliens from the human species. In past times, they were known as werewolves, minotaurs, vampires. And you always got to appreciate when a writer tries to co-opt all existing Earth history and mythology as actually this other new thing I just made up. So... You know, like, yeah, mermaids, Jack the Ripper, UFO abductions. Actually, that was all just Dr. Robotnik acting throughout history. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember uh, the second Matrix movie did this, right? Where they're like, oh, vampires and where that was, that was, uh, it was part of the Matrix. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it works better if you pick like one thing. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, this one unexplained phenomenon from history was actually this new thing I just made up. When you say all of it, I don't know. <laughs> Well, don't sh- don't throw shade on the zoonoid religion here. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so he goes on. He says, can you imagine these lovely creatures <laughs> in the White House, in every seat of power, in every country around the world? <laughs> that, was a, that was a great, great part. I did laugh at that. <laughs> oh, my God. So good. Uh, uh, let's see. And then, uh, Miski wants to know what the Giver is. And Gail explains that the Giver is an organic weapon that the aliens created. He basically rehashes the same stuff we already learned in the opening text crawl. He's like, it becomes a protective suit of armor and there's only one of them that's ever been found, but he doesn't know how to activate it. And that's why he needs her help. He says, you saw it work. Tell me, how did your friend activate it? 
Of course, she refuses to explain, and then Gale threatens to turn her into a zoonoid. Mm-hmm. And we we wander into the laboratory where we meet Doctor East, Jeffrey Combs, finally showing up in the in the last reel. And he's when we come in, he's like shoving some weird critter into a disintegration tank as it screams in protest. Yeah, it's like a scene from the Muppet Show. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And there's more exposition. Dr. East and his colleague explained that the Giver, which is now just a ball with some like goop hanging off of it. They say that the control metal is alive and it's growing. And Balkus, of course, is overwhelmed with pleasure and fascination. And, uh, oh, and then over in the other end of the room, we see that Mark Hamill is now in a tank being turned into a zoonoid. This recalls the tank he's in in Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think David Gale is like, uh, you know, uh, turn, uh, tell me how to uh, activate the, the the Giver, or I will I will turn him into a zoonoid and you too. And she's like, all right, I'll tell you everything. It was like this, and then oh, the old knee to the crotch, grab the Giver <laughs> and run. So yep, she yep. she outsmarts him, uh, and then we we get this sequence where she she like grabs the Giver and she's holding it over that disintegration tank, and she's like, I'll do it, I'll drop it in. And one of the monsters knocks it out of her hand and into the monster version of Jeffrey Combs' mouth. He swallows it, and then it erupts from inside him, revealing fully formed Giver with Sean inside. He says, I came back for you. So we learn uh, to take it all back. Giver can not only regenerate itself, but regenerate the person it has fused with. So, so Sean's okay. Yeah, and I don't know about his clothes, though. Did it? Because, uh, again, I would hope that it's... That you're just nude under the Giver costume, oh. especially in this case. Well, he definitely is this oh, time. Yeah, we find right. that but, out in a bit. Oh, yeah. Spoilers. But, um, uh, oh, you also forgot the, the, the a, a crucial part of this whole sequence is when one zoonoid swallows the unit, yeah. uh, another zoonoid uh, thrusts their arm down yes. that zoonoid's throat to try and pull it back out in a, a, a moment that that feels like it's pure screaming mad George. This feels like this is very much uh, something that he would have fought to include. Yeah. I think he's like, hold still, let me get that. And he's reaching down his throat. Yeah. And then we get the, 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 the body burst. And then it's meat slapping time again. Right. We get another big fight scene where it's fight, 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 Giver versus Zoonoids. Uh, the, the Giver beats up a bunch of the Zoonoids. He kills the Michael Berryman Zoonoid with an elbow knife jab and eventually by ripping his head open with his hands. Mm-hmm. So uh, kind of weird that otherwise this feels like a kid's movie because it's somewhat brutal. Yeah. And uh, as they're escaping, oh no, Mark Hamill, I guess they already zoonoided him because he starts transforming into a disgusting giant insect. So you get a whole morphing sequence like American Werewolf in London style, except he's turning into a fleshy slime cricket, but with sad Mark Hamill eyes. (laughs) Like he's got a Mark Hamill face looking up out of the cricket head and he's like, oh no. Yeah, this is a horrifying sequence. I remember catching this part on TV when I was a kid, and this is probably, this is the number one reason I didn't show any of this to my son. Uh, Because, yeah, it's very Kafka-esque. It's just Hamill becoming this giant Gregor-esque bug that's, it's not only does it have sad eyes, but it's like falling over itself. It's just this loathsome thing that should not be. Uh, yeah, this part was genuinely kind of kind of sad. I was like, "Why are they doing this?" Uh, he says, "Like it's too late for me. You've got to stop them. Don't let them get away with this." Uh, and then the Hamill Zoonoid just dies. Yeah, and then you get a final showdown between the Giver 
and the zoonoid form of David Gale, which we haven't seen up to this point. All the other monsters had been transforming, but he had stayed in human form except for revealing that little eye in his forehead. And then now finally he, he revealed, now I reveal my true form, which is a giant insect lizard Wendigo. It's like a, a you know, an insectoid dinosaur with stag antlers. Yeah, and this is a pretty great design. Um, on one hand, it, it reminds me of some final evolutions of some of the Pokemons that my son has been showing me. Uh, but also the antlers are kind of reminiscent of, of some Asian dragon designs. And uh, I was Im- impressed, yeah, with the final showdown effects here. Because it's got to be tough going from mostly all rubber suit combat to suddenly having this giant, and I'm, I'm guessing puppetry-powered monster. But I think it looks really good stomping around in the basement here. Uh, it, it ultimately is a good-looking sequence. Oh, yeah, agreed. I love this monster. Uh, it, it is defeated in the end by an inexplicable blast from the Giver's chest, but the Giver's yeah. okay. Yeah, this makes no, this is one of those, like, what's going on? Because the last time we saw the chest glowing and all, that was when the Zoonoids deactivated him and yeah. melted him down and just and stole the unit. And now he seems to be doing the exact same thing, except this time it utterly destroys his opponent and leaves him unscathed. Yeah, and so he, but then, so the Giver's okay. He goes up to Miski and he's like, uh, uh, don't be afraid, it's just me. And she says, I know it's you, Sean. <laughs> of course, you, why wouldn't she know? But then the suit disappears, leaving a nude Sean standing there. <laughs> and then she kisses him and then fetches him a billowy lab coat. Oh, God. Now, this this is something that uh, I've, I've read multiple times leading up to us watching this. And that is something from the, oh, the always wonderful IMDb parent zone. Oh, um, man. So which, funny. Yeah, which uh, on one level I've grown to greatly depend upon because if it's actually filled out and has meaningful content in it, which isn't always the case with every film, it can be very useful it, yeah. you know, for, for any viewer if you want to know, you know what sort of – content is in the film it can let us know if there's something in this film that maybe would disqualify it from something we want to cover on the show but it also has stuff like this where under the like the the, the nudity section um adult content section of the the parent zone it says this is a user submitted thing again uh quote it's implied a guy is completely naked nothing is seen however <laughs> so implied nudity is um oh I, I i love i think there should be warnings about all implied nudity it's like nothing no there are no actual naked people in this film but their nudity is implied and now you're imagining that nudity so look away what was the one we were looking at recently that had a note like it said something like a character is threatened with a chainsaw to the crotch. This may be distressing for some viewers. Yeah, that was in the parent comments for uh, Hell, Hell Comes to Frogtown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So always always insightful, but also good for a laugh, the IMDb parents. Then. I think that same one. Oh, yeah, and that's the same one that mentioned a, a character who, who is yelling something about Coors brand beer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it's just like uh, somebody mentions a beer in this film, just so you know. Um, but anyway, but back to the Giver. At this point, all of the, the villains are defeated, right? All the Zoonoids have been uh, have been killed, and, uh, and the world is safe. Yeah, but then you've got to have a stinger. So mm-hmm. the very last thing you get is that our, our heroes walk away. Well, not Mark Hamill, but our other two heroes walk away. And then Jimmy Walker, having survived the Giver oh, showdown, yeah. still in full Zoonoid form, he just appears with one of the other the CIA suit guys and says his catchphrase from TV. He says dynamite. And there you go. That's yeah, the, the, su- the suit guy's like, I've got a job for you. And he's yeah. like, that will be 
Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> Setting up a sequel, uh, and there is a sequel, which I, I looked at and, and watched part of. I don't think it, it, this movie actually flows directly into that. Um, it seems to be some sort of a plot about morzoanoids and something in a cave. And uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, Screaming Mad George doesn't like officially do anything do anything on that film. And Stephen uh, Steve Wang is the is the the primary director on that one. Mm, um, okay, they look like the monster suits are pretty good in it as well. Uh, it looks like it has some fun monsters, but. I was I did not feel like I needed to go any further. So if you were out there listening to this, if you're a big fan of the the Giver sequel, uh, do write in and let us know uh, what uh, what we're missing out on. Um, likewise, if you have familiarity with the uh, the anime adaptations or the original manga, I would I'd, I'd love to hear how this film stacks up to all of that. Oh, but just to get back to this film, if yeah, so we watched this on a Russian DVD that we rented from Videodrome. Um, it still played for me on an Xbox just fine. That's not always the case with some sort of a, um, a, a foreign disc. Uh, but it does look like there is a nice Blu-ray plus DVD special edition that came out from Arrow Video. And um, at first glance, I thought it was a, like a Region 2 and you wouldn't be able to play it here anyway. But I see reviews for this edition saying that it's region free. Uh, so it looks pretty good. It looks like it has some special features. So maybe that's worth picking up. And this is also the sort of film that you can watch by maybe streaming it. Uh, here and there, I don't know. Stuff pops in and out on, uh, on streaming availability. And if you have a time machine, you can go back and watch this on Monster Vision. We were talking, <laughs> I was talking with Seth before we came in here, and he's like, I think I've seen this before. And there was some sort of a host talking about it. Maybe it was Elvira, maybe it was Joe Bob. But uh, yeah, it looks like it was definitely Joe Bob because uh, this was featured on Monster Vision. Mm, okay. All right, that's it for this episode of Weird House Cinema, but we will be back next Friday. Uh, we're mostly a science podcast here at Stuff to Blow Your Mind with core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But on Fridays, we put aside most serious matters and we just focus in on a weird film like this one. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at Contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.